You are listening to season two of the Not Neurotypical podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and season two is all about my continued late diagnosis journey, finding my voice, and figuring out what the heck to do now. So strap on your safety belts, hold on tight, because it's still going to be a bumpy ride. Hello and welcome to the Not Neurotypical Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Stan, and I am coming at you from a really raw place today. And I'm just going to info dump and (laughs) that's it. Like I, another stream of consciousness type podcast, like last time I got a lot of really positive feedback. So I wanted to go ahead and just roll with it because I enjoyed it last time on episode 16 and wow we're at episode 17 already so thank you for listening and let's go ahead and start up episode 17 of the not neurotypical podcast so I've had a crazy roller coaster week I know you all know what that's like where things seem to completely unravel and then you get to put it all back together in a much more meaningful way. And I'm actually really excited to share this with you. I think most people going through what I've been through the last week would be embarrassed and um, not want to share in a real way, but it's me and I info dump and I'm just here letting it all hang out with you guys. (laughs) So I just, I don't even know where to start. I guess I'll start from the beginning. So it is embarrassing. Anyway, so me and my husband recently started, you know him, Dylan, he was on the video podcast that we shared about our NT and ND relationship, which means he's neurotypical, I'm neurodivergent. And we did a podcast together and you got to kind of know him a little bit. You obviously know me pretty well by now, hopefully, if you've listened to, I mean, I can't believe this is episode 17. Crazy. Um, I started, well, I recorded the first couple episodes in June of 2019, maybe July. And then I kind of continued from there as I was processing everything. And so it's been a while now. And I didn't release anything until September 2019. It is now February 2020. And I just have to say that every week feels different. And I don't know if that's because I'm autistic or, I mean, you guys can let me know if you feel that way, but I feel so different week to week and you'd think that would freak me out, but I guess it's just a day in the life. I, um, I just am that way. I don't really know why I kind of feel like a different person week to week. Um, sometimes I'm really, really, really down in the dumps for really no good reason. Also, this time of year is really hard for me. This is my first winter as a person who knows they are autistic. Obviously not my first winter, but the weather this year has been all over the place. It is 60 degrees one day, two days later, it's high of 28 or something crazy. It's just been all over the place. And I'm realizing this year sensory wise, that is really, really affecting me negatively. And I always have been a person who kind of gets winter blues, which is pretty normal. I know like most people get that, but I am also someone who 
really likes to be outside a lot and spring, summer and fall, I I like to be outside with my kids a lot. That was that's a lot of my time that I spend with my kids. I like to just get out of the house, um get into nature and explore and do fun things with them and they love it too. And this winter has been so crazy because it hasn't snowed at all, which we normally get a pretty good amount of snow. It's not like New York or, you know, other areas you think of. Canada or anything like that. We definitely don't get as much as other areas, but we normally get one or two pretty big snowstorms and um, quite a few, like two, three inches. They don't normally stick around that long here, but we have not gotten anything. We got one dusting that lasted two hours and we haven't even gotten any ice. It's pretty normal for us to get some sort of ice storm at some point or just ice with snow and things like that. We haven't gotten any of that. It's been very warm. And the days that it's warmer, it's been raining. And some cold days too, it's been raining at so much. So I've been in this weird funk that I cannot get myself out of. Um, hopefully I have now, but it's been rough. And this is all new for me because I have all this new knowledge that I'm still trying to process. And I realized I was autistic in the summer. So, you know, I don't know. It's just like new things that I'm thinking about every day as I live, as I continue to live as a person. And so me and my husband, after all three of our kids were diagnosed autistic, Um, we've really been focused on how to support them properly. And it's a really hard thing to go through because you would think, oh, well, their mom is autistic. So there they go. They're fine. They're going to be good. But no, each kid needs such different support and they're not going to need the same support that I need. And also the support's going to change, you know, throughout time. So the support that is good for my nine-year-old son, when my two daughters are nine, it might look very, very different and they might need support that he needs now and later they won't, you know, it's just, there's so many variables and it's really hard. So one doctor that we were seeing recommended a psychologist in our area and I was really excited when they recommended that me and my husband go speak to this psychologist because I was already aware, he was already on my radar And he has a blog and he is actually a psychologist who is more of the neurodiversity model than the medical model. So he himself has an autistic son and his son is in his 40s. So he's been in the autism world for many, many, many years. And I really like that on his blog, he doesn't speak for autistic adults and he actually encourages people to listen to autistic adults and things like that. So I felt very comfortable going to a doctor like that and and speaking more with him and, and just reading his blog. I felt like he got a lot of things. Um, so you, you just feel like, or I just feel like I'm starting on a better foot with him than I would be with just any old doctor, uh, just because I was able to read his blog, I was able to kind of just feel more comfortable from the start. So I was very excited. So last week was week two of it's it's kind of like couples therapy slash therapy for parents, kind of like you know make sure we are parenting our kids 
in a healthy way, um, you know, talk about different approaches and things like that. So it's kind of twofold. He does both. So when me and my husband started, I kind of last minute was like, listen, um, let's just kind of go at first with as parents. Um, and I didn't make a big deal about it, but I just threw it out there and said, I would feel more comfortable at least starting that way. And then we can kind of go from there. My husband said, sure, that's fine. So we went the first week, you know, it's kind of getting to know you. What are you looking for? This is what I could do, blah, blah, blah. And it went really, really well. Um, I don't know if you've, <laughs> uh, started with a therapist and if you're autistic like me and have the advanced pattern recognition, you can kind of tell right away if the therapist is someone that you're, you actually want to talk to, or even actually has advice worth giving. I don't know. It's, it sounds really harsh, but I just know right away. And I've tried quite a few therapists over the years and never really found one. This is going to sound really bad, but it's true. I'm going to lay it out there. I'm not saying that they're not as intelligent as me, but I've never found a therapist that I feel like was as smart as me. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, someone who I could respect. Like, I feel like you have to have a certain amount of respect, especially being autistic. I don't want people to tell me anything, um, <laughs> which doesn't do good in therapy, I found out this week. But anyway, um, I am demand avoidant and therapists tend to communicate in a way that just is not good for me. And um, that's on me, though. I'm going to own it. It's on me to kind of evolve. And it's just so hard to find a therapist where you feel like, oh, they're going to give me great advice. Because most of the advice I've gotten from therapists was just so ridiculous. Like for toddlers, that's what it feels like. It feels like they're like, I, I don't know. But the truth is, I've never stayed with one long enough to really get a good feel for it. And I don't know. So this guy just seemed different. Week one was really great. Me and my husband left happy. Uh, my husband is similar to me where, you know, he wants to be able to respect a therapist and all that. Week one went really great. Week two, however, that was a whole different ballgame. And I'm going to tell you why. So the day before therapy, we went on a morning, Thursday morning. Wednesday, my husband was coming home early from work, which if you know anything about an autistic person, you know right there, okay, routine was thrown off. So I um, I was like, okay, cool. I knew he was coming home early all day. It was like he had a, an appointment and he was like, after the appointment, I'm just going to come home. And where he was normally takes a lot longer to come home. And then all of a sudden I get a text and he's like, I'm getting off the subway because we live in the city in Philadelphia. So he just commutes via the subway to work. And I just flipped out. I had a bad moment. I straight up will just, I sent him a text and I said, this is BS. I said the whole word. I'm trying to keep it clean though. This is BS. Now I have to deal with you coming home and being a psycho. I'm not saying that he actually is. This was just my emotional dysregulation, but this is the text. Now I have to deal with you coming home, being a psycho. I'm not going to have the house clean. You know, all of this anxiety in a text aimed at my husband, 
when it was really aimed at, you know, it, it was coming from my anxiety and me not handling routine change well, um, transition well, and it was me um, being out of control, my husband coming home early, and me not reacting good to that. So anyway, he didn't even respond. He actually did a good thing. He didn't even respond. Um, when he got home, I did my thing where I go to my room. <laughs> I recorded the last podcast, which is one thing I did. And I was in my room basically the rest of the night. So it was like four o'clock and I was in my room for the rest of the night for the most part. Um, a couple times he even came in and said, can I get you anything? Are you okay? Like, how are you feeling? You know, checked on me. It's really, really sweet. And then after the kids were put to bed by him, he very nicely did that. We kind of connected later. Everything was fine the rest of the night. Um, we didn't even really talk about the text. And honestly, I probably should have brought it up and apologized and all that. But everything was so good that I just didn't say anything and kind of forgot about it. So then the next morning was therapy. And remember, I had mentioned I wanted to go to therapy as parents. So we show up and it's our second week. And the doctor said, you know, kind of starts off the conversation. He's like, what's been going on this week? Is there anything you guys want to talk about? And my husband's first question was, well, why are we, you know, I guess I just want to make sure I know why we're here. And I said, well, the doctor said, you know, well, you know, you're here for like parent kind of counseling, family counseling, as well as marriage counseling. It's all kind of intertwined. And I looked at him and I was like, yeah, it's all kind of intertwined. Uh, not even thinking about our past combo. And my husband <laughs> being the sharp man that he is, he just threw it out there and he goes, well, let's talk about that text you sent me yesterday. Um, so I was very caught off guard and I gave him a look and I, I'm sure he remembers the look that I gave him because I think he even commented on it. But I was just like in my head at the time, I'm like, are you kidding me? But also remember, it takes me a long time to kind of process everything. But I was thrown off guard. I wasn't expecting uh, any of that. And also, we're in the company of a stranger or, you know, a new person, the therapist, obviously, or the psychologist. And I went into kind of defense mode, but I did first apologize. And I was like, listen, you know, we haven't really talked about it yet, but I am I am sorry about the text. It was totally me, you know, being ridiculous. And I just felt like a little betrayed I'm not really sure why I felt that, but I did. And then he kind of threw out there, as we were kind of discussing it back and forth, we weren't really arguing or fighting or anything. We were just both telling our point of views. And at one point he's like, yeah, you know, and then you went up to your room for five hours. And the doctor responds, you went up to your room for five hours? <laughs> uh, I don't know if he actually said it like that, but that's how I heard it. I know I messed those things up, but that's how I heard it. And at that point, I just knew I wasn't going to win this one. It's terrible. I shouldn't see it as winning, but that's like what I was feeling. And I didn't go into shutdown mode or anything, but I was just like, okay, well, you know, I shouldn't have sent the text. 
I went up to the room. I explained to the doctor why I go to my room. He's familiar with autistic people. So I explained, you know, often it's because I'm overwhelmed or having sensory overload or whatever. And um, it was just really annoying to me that I had to explain that and that he threw that out there after we just had that other big fight that we talked about on that last podcast. And I felt like he just finally got it. And then we're like talking about it in therapy again. Or how about the fact that we were, we didn't even talk about the text that I sent and then he brought it up in therapy. And I just kind of felt like as a couple, it's kind of unfair to bring something up in therapy for the first time. <laughs> like it's something we should probably discuss if we're having an issue with discussing it, it should come out at therapy. But I don't know. I, I felt a little betrayed. I felt like he, my husband was just kind of, I felt attacked at the time. So continue the conversation. My husband also kind of throws out there that on top of all the other things, when, when he, we were kind of discussing like overwhelm and, and my struggles that I have, it was also brought up that I, that he doesn't feel like I spend enough time with my kids. Um, and that really hurt. I felt attacked. I got very defensive and I said, no, listen, I spent a lot of time with my kids. I'm just not always on the floor playing with them like you do. But in my head, I've kind of talked myself into this thing where as long as one parent plays with them, it's going to be okay. They come to me for other things that they need. I still spend a lot of time with them. I take them outside. We just do different things. Like they have a relationship with their dad and they have a relationship with me. And that's kind of just what I've been telling myself. And the doctor goes, he explained and he goes, well, did your parents play with you when you were a kid? And I said, no, they, they really didn't. I mean, maybe a little bit, but there was no pretend play with them. Um, my, I didn't go into my whole past, but the truth is I was abused as a child. I was extremely neglected. And there would be moments of, you know, times when my dad would play with me on the floor and just kind of, you know, whatever. And then there was other moments when everyone was angry and it was a hostile household and all of that. So no, I didn't learn from my parents how to play. And he said, well, listen, that's not necessarily an autism thing. You don't know how to play with your kids because you were never taught from your parents. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. But this whole conversation still packs in a whole lot of shame because no one wants to be the mom that can't play with her kids because she doesn't know how. It was really embarrassing. I felt a lot of shame. And the, the narrative of the therapy was even like, the doctor telling my husband like, oh, well, you know, I really think you guys should all try to play together. And, and he even was telling my husband, well, why don't you, you know, coach her or teach her how to play too? Because my husband had a, a dad who was on the ground playing with him all the time. And I see it still. My father-in-law is on the ground with the kids playing, like doing everything with the kids, like quality time. He's one of those guys. And my husband's that way too with the kids. And I also threw out a couple things that I feel like, you know, we're not getting that quality time either, me and my husband, because we have two toddlers, we have a fourth grader, 
my husband works, you know, obviously full time. He's in a pretty stressful position, um, but he doesn't have to bring his own work with him. Thank goodness. And, you know, in the midst of raising three children, oftentimes the marriage just goes to the back of the list, you know, and I threw that out there as well. And the doctor did have my back with that. And he said, you guys have to make time. And and he definitely straight out told my husband, like, you know, you have to make time for her and it has to be on your priority list. And he looked at me and he said, and you also have to, you know, meet your children where they are and play with them the way that they want to and the way that they need. That's going to be beneficial because he said, playtime with parents is integral to social skills. So I'm thinking, well, crap, like this is really important because I, if, if they are autistic, you know, they may have some gaps in, in the social stuff and I have major, major gaps in the social stuff. So I'm thinking like, wow, I'm, I'm screwing up already. You know, you just get, go into the shame spiral. And when we left the, the appointment, I actually, I felt very complex feelings. So I felt some shame and, and regret and, and all kinds of negative feelings And I also felt like, what the heck just happened? (laughs) Like, I don't know. My husband's saying all this like crazy positive stuff and all that went so well. And I just kind of went with it. Um, I don't really think it was masking. I just didn't really know how I felt yet because my processing times, especially when caught off guard in front of people that I'm not comfortable with, the, the processing time is very slow. So I drive my husband to work everything seems fine. And by the time I get home, I'm really unhappy with what happened. And I continued to process it. So a couple hours later, my husband sends me a text, like checks in on me. And he's like, how are you? You know, blah, blah, blah. How's the kids? All of that. And I probably responded really cold I was mad. I was mad at my husband. I was mad at the therapist, the the psychologist, the doctor. And it was hard to really know why. So I told him probably in a very cold way. I don't remember. I said, listen, I need more processing time to kind of figure out the hurt and pain and complex emotions that I'm feeling. So you can imagine me bringing in the context. I couldn't see this context at the time because honestly, when, when I am experiencing emotional dysregulation, I do not see the context. (laughs) And so you can imagine now in hindsight, I can easily speak to this, but our last interaction with my husband was pretty positive and we were discussing things like adults and, you know, he was very happy and I gave him no indication that I wasn't. So you can imagine him being like, what the heck is going on? Did I do something? You know, being very concerned because I'm sure my mood change was very dramatic. (laughs) So I kind of tell him, listen, I just need some time to process this. But again, I was probably being very, very cold. And he, you know, pressed it a little more. Did I, is it something I did, you know? more just like coming from a place of concern and care. And I don't really remember how we got into it, but I just gave it to him through text 
which is not a good thing when you're married to do that, but I did it again. And it turned into like a two-hour text wall of me being really angry and kind of getting probably angry and angrier the more I talked about it and just saying like, you betrayed me. Um, you know, we said we weren't going to talk about couples things and you just threw me under the bus. You know, he mentioned, and, and I said a lot of things that I really deeply regret. I had no right to. I started with the, the right idea. Like I need more time to process this. And then I didn't follow a boundary that I was trying to set to not only protect myself, but protect my husband while I was trying to process all of these emotions. And we always talk about setting boundaries with other people, but what about the boundaries that we set for ourselves that we know are good for us while we're trying to process things? You know, like we don't talk about that. And I tried to do that and then it just fell apart. Um, And I saw a lot of really horrible stuff. I even brought up divorce. Like I went, I don't even want to reread that whole thing, but I'm sure from the outside, if you didn't know either one of us, you would have been like, holy crap, this person is a total psychotic B word. (laughs) Like I can't even imagine what was running through my husband's mind at work. And frankly, looking back now, he handled it really, really well. And I'm going to have to give him kudos for that. But anyway, and, you know, while I was kind of going through all this, I, I talked to some friends and I explained it and, and, you know, a couple of them being autistic couple, just ADHD, but all the women were mothers, of course. And they were just like, Oh, hell no, that doctor didn't say that you're, you know, I can't believe your husband brought that up at therapy, blah, blah, blah. Um, which is valid, right? Like if you don't have the true context of everything, um, and I was probably already spinning it in a really negative way and making it worse than it really was because that's what was going on inside me. There's this emotional turbulence of me trying to work out emotions and process things that are complex that I'm still working on. I need a lot of growth in this area, but I'm already at this point, I was like, I hadn't seen my husband yet. And I'm like, I'm never going back to this therapist. This was horrible. I was even starting to write a blog post about shame. And I never released the blog post, but it was really funny because I went back and and read it earlier. And um, it was all about how easy my husband has life and how hard my life is. Thank God I didn't release that blog post. But wow, like what a mindset I was in. Um, like a horrible, dark, ugly shame spiral that at the time I really thought was valid. I really did like deeply. I was so lost in my own inner emotional dysregulation that I really thought that everything I was saying was valid. Everything I was feeling was valid. And I forgot that my, what I'm thinking is not always true. And I forgot that what we think we still have to control and, you know, get rid of that negative self-talk or that harmful talk that we do. And I was not 
skimming that stuff out at all. I was paying attention to that negativity and I was dwelling on it and I was, I was giving it more life. I was letting it grow and fester and not discussing any of it in a healthy way with my husband. So anyway, I was literally crying all day and I'm not that kind of person. I can't even remember the last time I've cried all day. Um, but I was clearly in a huge downward spiral and it went down. And when my husband got home, I did the same thing. I went upstairs. I honestly like don't even remember what happened, but I guess after the kids went to bed, in my head, it was like, I have to divorce my husband. Like, it's really crazy. Uh, to look back on now, considering where I am now, but I was even just like, this is it. I can't do this anymore. Um, and I hate to say crazy, but I mean it. I was very much emotionally and even possibly mentally disturbed at the time. And I don't really understand it. I don't know why that happens. And it doesn't happen that often. It was this weird combo of my time of the month coming, which is never good. And then also just I was not processing things correctly, which I've talked about a lot on my podcast, but now I finally have like a really good example to share. Um, I just wasn't processing the social interaction that we had in therapy yet because I didn't really know how therapy is supposed to go. And, and I had this idea about therapy and also when it's someone else involved, I can't really control the therapy and that makes me, and feeling out of control makes me feel very, uh, what's the word? I don't know. Things I just don't want to feel, um, out of control, I guess. I don't like that. And it happened. I, I was not in control of the situation. I didn't like it. I wasn't controlling the narrative and the narrative was about a bunch of ways that I needed to improve. Recipe for disaster for someone who doesn't have their crap together. And I didn't. So <laughs> I, the kids went to bed. Me and my husband finally had a chance to talk. And he was angry, but for good reason. And he wasn't acting angry, but he was sharing with me. He was angry. He was like the two-hour text of just how horrible I am as a person. He was like, it's just wrong and you can't do that. And when you tell someone something like that, even if, and he was totally valid. Remember that my whole idea, like two people can be valid at the same time. Um, well, in this case, I really wasn't valid looking back, but he was. But at the time it was me being valid and him not being valid. I was doing that exact thing that I told you guys that we shouldn't do last week, but I was doing that. So it's different in romantic relationships than online, right? Because, you know, there's all this complicated other stuff involved. So I literally just could not understand why he could be angry at me. And I was like, listen, I, I didn't have good delivery, but I meant everything I said. And I really didn't. I don't think I did, but I, I stuck with that. And 
we talked for a while and I cried a little bit, but it wasn't, we were really mostly talking. I think we handled it pretty well at the end of the day. Honestly, I was so emotionally distraught all day that I didn't even have the energy to like fight, but we knew we had to address what happened and what was going on. And we just kind of talked. And then finally, my husband got to the point where, you know, I, I brought up a bunch of resentments I have towards him. And he goes, well, I resent you too. And I'm thinking in my head, what the heck could this man have to resent me for? I've done, (laughs) you know, I did the whole like, oh, I'm perfect. You're like, you're, you know, you do this, this, and this, like, how could you resent me? And at first he kind of was like, listen, I just need time to kind of put it all together. And then we, we can talk about it. And I was like, no, that's not how resentment works. Of course, I know everything. I tell him that. (laughs) that's not how resentment works. I was like, you know, if you resent me, you should know why, like, just tell me. So after like an hour of that, and this is late at night, I had had one of the roughest days I've had probably in years, honestly, like it was rough. I had a really rough day. Uh, it was the worst meltdown I've ever had. I think at least since I've known what a meltdown is, (laughs) um, it was really, really bad. And we're at the end of the night. I don't even have the energy to handle it. And he goes, okay, fine. And he goes, I resent you for this, this, and this, and this. And I knew I had to just take it. I didn't have the energy to even be defensive. Everything he said hurt, but at that point I was starting to calm down. And even if I didn't think he had a a right to resent me for those things, I, I knew I had to just address it. Okay. The resentment's there. And he's, he's communicating this with me. So I just have to accept it. And I did, I accepted it. I cried it, the stuff hurt. And wow, like, boom, like it's crazy when someone admits, listen, I've been holding all this stuff in, you know, my, we're growing up together. That's what you do in a marriage. You kind of like grow up together. We've, we've only been married five years and I don't know. It was hard to hear it all at once, but it was a little, I was a little relieved because it's stuff, once again, my pattern recognition, it's stuff like I knew that there was an issue was, and he just wouldn't really talk to me about it. Um, He would avoid the conversations. I'd have the negative fallout from it. He would have some negative fallout from it, whatever. But I think one great thing about autistic people is we would rather know the truth. We would rather know, we know someone's really feeling something. We don't always know what that is, but we'd rather hear it. And I say we, like, you know, a lot of autistic people I've talked to, I'm sure not everyone is like that, but me and a lot of people I've talked to agree that we would rather you just give it to us straight up. No social stuff, no romantic, like blah, blah, blah. Let's not deal with this. Like, let's deal with this head on. And my husband finally, after five years, gave it to me and it hurt. But I also was like, okay, thank you. I knew all of these things were issues. So it felt good to be able to just have it all out in the open. And 
I did something that I've never done before. After we kind of did that and I started to kind of process it, I said, I don't even know why I did this. I just did it. I said, well, you know, I love you because of this, this, and this. And I kind of gave him like a nice list of reasons that I loved him because I really wanted to end it on a positive note. And I saw him kind of warm up again towards me. And he said, well, I love you because of this, this, this. I wish I could remember, but I I was like drunk on <laughs> exhaustion at that point. So we kind of ended the ended on a positive note. And Saturday morning, I woke up and I put on a mask. And I came down and I said, I'm really sorry for the way I handled things yesterday. And you're right. I really do need to improve all of those areas. I'm totally going to cry right now. I told him, I really do need to improve in the areas that you mentioned. Um, one of them being, you know, spending time with the kids, quality time. And I told him, I'm going to do better. Thank you. Thank you for being straight up with me. I'm going to do better. And the rest of the day, I kept my mask on and it wasn't heavy, heavy masking. It wasn't a very harmful mask, but I kept it on. I said, you know what? I'm going to try to be the pleaser once again. I hadn't done it in so long with the family. And we had a really great day as a family and everyone was happy. My husband was happy. I was happy. I was. Kids were happy and we had a great day. We all spent like a lot of good quality time together. I didn't look at my phone. You know, that was another thing. That was one of the things he mentioned that I'm on my phone all the time and I am. He's absolutely right. Um, but I've kind I will go into the things, (laughs) but So Saturday was fabulous. Like we had a great day. And Sunday, I woke up with a mask hangover. It felt like that. I was down in the dumps. And, you know, Friday was like, I was weighing all this stuff. Like, like is unmasking okay? Like if you're late diagnosed... Like, why should we expect people to unmask, like, with all the people that they already know and have relationships with, and this is so harmful, like, it hurts so bad, like, you, you feel like everyone's rejecting your inner self, but it's so much more complex than that, but I'm like, well, why should I even worry about unmasking anymore? Like, you know, I was in a really dark place, but I really was there and I was questioning it. And I don't think questioning it is a bad thing. I think questioning things in general is always a good thing. And I've always done it. So (laughs) I guess that's probably why I think it's a good thing. But I question everything. And I questioned it after preaching to you guys about unmasking for so long and and I feel like I've added a lot of the nuance that maybe some other advocates haven't and I've told people like unmask slowly unmask when you can there's no rush get to know yourself um 
you know, it's, it can be harmful to unmask, unmask too soon and all of that. You know, I've mentioned all of that stuff. And then I found myself at the point where, is it even worth it to take the mask off? I was there, I was in a dark place and I really truly questioned it. And then I spent the day masking Saturday. Like I said, I wasn't like doing anything crazy, but it was like, I really wanted to be better in a lot of ways. So I don't know. I don't even know if I like mentally was aware that I put my mask back on. But Sunday morning when I woke up with the masking hangover, I swear to God, it felt like that. I was so down in the dumps. I was sad. Um visibly like my husband noticed something right away and he was like are you okay what's wrong like he really cared he was confused because he knows we had such a great day Saturday the the poor guy is probably thinking like what did I do now <laughs> you know like uh, I can't even imagine like he's such a saint for going through this journey with me because it's so hard and it's so hard for me I can't even imagine being a partner of someone going through, like, it's, it's just crazy. So I told him, I was like, I feel really sad because I just was honest. I knew like we, we agreed we're going to be more forthcoming and not hide emotions and things like that and share in a more healthy way. And I told him, I was like, I'm really sad because Saturday was like the best day we've had as a family in a really long time and everyone was so happy and it was almost like euphoric and I was masking and that made me so sad. The realization of that the next day, I was like, you know, (laughs) how can I be myself and be the mom that I need to be, and be the wife that I need to be, and not just need to be, the mom and the wife that I want to be. And how do I also feel like I'm being myself and all that? And and he was really, really understanding, and he got it. You know, I've given him, obviously, enough education on this stuff, and he was just like, yeah, wow, I guess we're just going to have to... F- figure it out together and it just started to feel better and I'm still kind of questioning like is a mask always harmful like where where does being autistic and using autism as as an excuse come into play like where's the line Where do we process things in a healthy way? And where do we just accept certain things? Where are we harmful to others and harmful to ourselves? And where do we just say it's enough and not do something? I don't know. It's really complex. I'm questioning all of these things. And I think it's really important that we talk about these types of things that we're questioning. At what point are we using autism as an excuse to 
just be socially and and in relationships and and what's the word? I don't want to say lazy, but just not really try like we should. Do we do that? I think so. I think I do that. I think I've been doing it. I think I've been reading a lot on Instagram and autistic people like this, and we talk about acceptance, and we forget that our lives are not black and white, and we have to live, and we have to process all of the stuff that we talk about, about being autistic adults in a different way for each situation, and are there times that we are sacrificing ourselves? Are we sacrificing time with valuable time with people around us, like our wives, husbands, significant others, spouses, family members, kids? Are we just making excuses to get out of things because we're autistic? Things that we might really need? Because I almost stopped really, really valuable therapy in a couple and parenting type therapy setting based on a couple social interactions that I wasn't processing very well. And wow, like, you know, it's kind of blowing my mind and I feel like I have this level of clarity that I haven't had yet as an autistic adult as knowing I'm an autistic adult. And I think it's okay to question the mask. Um, here's the thing. So I don't like playing on the floor with my kids, or I never have, right? And over the weekend, I started to try. It was masking at first. And today, I found myself enjoying it. And then I feel this like double guilt shame thing where it's like, oh my God, I almost just like was like, F that. I can do what I want. It's not fair for a therapist to put me on the spot and tell me what I need to do and tell my husband to teach me. Like who does that? Like, you know, those were negative things I was thinking. And to think there was a huge possibility if I didn't slip my mask back on and start that process, there was a huge possibility that I would have given up on that and I wouldn't have tried. And I feel, I feel like there are some experiences and we have to, it's really hard to know when and why and where, but I'm learning that at times, masking can be a positive thing to kind of get us in a onward, forward motion of something that's hard for us that we know we need to do. Listen, I need to be a mom. I want to be a mom. I love being a mom. I love my children. And autism is not an excuse for me to emotionally abandon my kids because there are times where I feel like that would be easier for me and I hate saying that but autism and finding out I'm autistic is not an excuse and masking that first day I was doing it you know 
not consciously, but that first day helped me get on that forward motion. And today I found myself really enjoying it in a really positive way. And this has been such a clarifying experience. Like, I don't know what else to say, but one of the things that I really wanted to share with you is someone shared in the Not Neurotypical Squad a video of a TED Talk. And the video is called Skills for Healthy Romantic Relationships. And this came, I mean, it came at the best time ever, right? So the person in the squad, thank you so much for posting it, by the way, if you're listening. Um, The person who posted it said, I'll just drop this right here. I found it really valuable. It was, they posted it on Friday, the day after one of the craziest meltdowns I've ever had. And I watched it. And it is Dr. Joanne Davila, who is a professor of psychology and the director of clinical training in the Department of Psychology at Stony Brook University. And she received her PhD in clinical psychology from UCLA. So, you know, it was a great talk. So her main point in the speech, and I'm going to definitely link you guys this, this to this talk, the TED talk in the description, but in the video she kind of opens it that everyone knows what a good relationship looks like, but very few people know how to foster a good relationship. Very few people know how to maintain it and they know what it looks like, but they don't know how to do it and work at it on a daily basis. And my first thought is like, yeah, yeah, that's me. (laughs) I do not know. But anyway, I wanted to give you some tips from the video, not from me, and through their own research, her and her team and her colleagues, you know, what they found. And, and I feel like this is stuff that if you're autistic and you have a hard time like me maintaining relationships, because that's a huge issue I have. I've never literally my, my current husband is the, the first person that I'm like maintaining a long-term relationship with. Um, I've been divorced before. I didn't maintain that. Um, I have no long-term friends. I mean, like, you know, this is a huge issue for me. And if you have that, I feel like this is so valuable. This information that the doctor gave in the TED talk for anyone, for any relationship, because It's laid out in a way that it's so easy to digest and it's so easy to process and so easy to think about when you are in certain situations. So anyway, these three things are what they have found adds to maintaining and fostering a healthy romantic relationship, but I think anyone. So the three things are insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation three things that I might be good at in certain situations and might be really, really horrible at in other situations. And these are all three things I majorly need to improve. So she gave an example in the video at the end, which was really amazing. And it was talking about a husband and a wife and the husband, somehow it came up and I guess like a 
Valentine's Day or something like that was coming up and or their anniversary. And the husband was like, do you want anything for our anniversary? And she said, no, no, I'm good. And then it the day rolled around and she didn't get anything. And she was not happy about it. And she felt, you know, insignificant, invalidated in the relationship and all that. I mean, how many of you have been there? I think masking asks that a lot. So you give the answer somebody wants. I mean, I've been in that same situation a million times and I'm thinking like, wow, okay. So the three things, insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation, she said, so insight would have helped the wife know that she really did actually want the gift. And also insight would have helped her know that her husband would have taken it at face value and not gotten her a gift if she said so. Um, Mutuality, where both sets of needs matters, would have been her saying, listen, I know that maybe we're saving up for a trip or, or, you know, whatever situation, but I did really like this necklace I saw and it wasn't too expensive. So I think I'd really want that. So she's kind of like sharing how to kind of communicate in a mutual way for mutual benefit. And then emotion regulation obviously would have kept her from getting angry in the end. But to break them down, so insight, she says, you'll have a better idea of who you are, what you want, and what you need. Insight helps you know what you need. Instead of being snappy, you'll know you needed something else. It helps you know your partner better, be able to anticipate positive outcomes, and learn from mistakes. So this is something where, you know, I don't know how to teach myself this stuff or even how to tell you how to learn insight or whatever, but I feel like autistic people have naturally pretty good insight and we could use that in a really positive way because a lot of it is pattern recognition when we know something is off or we feel something is off a lot of the times too we have some issues with processing it at least I do I have some issues processing it and trying to figure out like sometimes I can have a feeling of insight and I'm not really sure where it's coming from but the truth is I have a pretty good idea of who I am I have a pretty good idea of who I want, of what I want, and I have a pretty good idea of what I need. I have the insight needed to really do better at this. And I also know my husband pretty well. I know most of the time what he wants and what he needs, and I'm probably pretty good at anticipating that. And then mutuality is the idea that both sets of needs matters. And whether you're in a romantic relationship or not, this stuff is valuable to all types of relationships because once again, you know, any relationship, two people have needs, friendships, family relationships. Um, Mutuality is conveying your own needs in a clear and concise fashion, but also being willing to meet the partner's needs as well or the willingness to support your partner. Mutuality lets you factor both people's needs into mutual decisions for the relationship or for the family. And then emotion regulation is regulating feelings in response to things that happen. And I really, really, really suck at that. Um, it's just something I've struggled with my, my whole life. And I didn't have parents who 
were good at that either, honestly, or taught me any coping skills for that. Um, so it's something that I'm just kind of learning how to cope with now on my own. Um, emotion regulation helps you instead of freaking out, you'll think I can handle this. I'm going to figure this out. Everything is going to be okay. And it helps you tolerate impulsive feelings and think about things more clearly. Something that is clearly hard for anyone having executive dysfunction, but it can be done. And emotion regulation also is helping you to be able to maintain a sense of self-respect and commitment to your needs, even when bad things happen in a relationship. And that really hit home. Like all of that stuff really hit home, especially the thought of emotion regulation being literally you controlling your thoughts. Like I never really thought, I mean, I know what emotion regulation is, but I never thought about it that way. And it really is. Um, and I'm happy that someone kind of broke it down in that way for me because I feel like, okay, I can do this. When I hear myself saying, I can't do this, I can think, yes, I can. My thoughts are lying to me. That's literally, and as an autistic person, I can just totally call myself out, right? <laughs> like I'm good at that. And if I think like, I can't do this, I can think instead, yes, I can. I can totally do that, but what what can I do to kind of help myself get there or something? Um, and I love that she framed emotion regulation as maintaining self-respect and commitment to my own needs when bad things happen. Because the truth is, on Thursday, when I did the wall of text barrage assault on my husband, I did not maintain a self a, a sense of self-respect and I didn't maintain my commitment to my needs I didn't maintain a commitment to my needs or my husband's needs I had no insight I had no mutuality you know one of the worst days ever of our lives as a couple was literally me saying exactly what this talk was talking about for skills for healthy romantic relationships. And I really think you guys should all watch the TED talk. It's short. It's, it's like 15 minutes. It's not like a long talk. It's so worth it. And I learned so much. And where is the line that we draw? It's, it's going to be different for all of us, but it's something to really ponder when is it okay to use I'm autistic as an excuse? And when do we push ourselves? When do we mask a little bit for the benefit of ourselves or for somebody else or to maintain a commitment? And if we do that, is that mask really harmful? Is it okay to kind of mask to get us through a situation that we know is going to benefit us in some way? Is that harmful? I really don't think so, at least not for myself. I think it's really going to depend person to person. But let's face it, masking, autistic masking especially, is very complex. And 
I think being generally demand avoidant people, I think we're really vulnerable to selling ourselves short. And, and I don't like that. And I think about that for myself and I think about for my kids, I want them to accept themselves and I want them to accept me and I want everyone to accept me for who I am. But that doesn't mean that I can just go hide in my bedroom the rest of my life. That's not good for me. That doesn't mean that I shouldn't try to be the best mom I can and sit down and play with my kids and just kind of give up on that. And last week I would have said, hell yeah, I'm just not that person. I'm not that mom. And now I'm learning that, you know what? I can be that mom. I sat down and started to work on it and I got pretty good at it. And it started to actually be fun after like three days of doing it a lot. Today, I really enjoyed myself and I... I just worry that we sell ourselves really short because everyone else has. And I think it's natural to start to control the narrative and start to accept ourselves, but also accept too much of the negative along with all of the positive that comes with starting to accept ourselves. But where are you selling yourself short? I want you to think about that. I would love you to reach out to me and let me know. Where are you selling yourself short? Because me, I was selling myself short as a wife and a mother as I was processing all of this. And I think it's a natural thing and I don't regret any of it because it it led me right here. It led me to this clarity. And I also needed to kind of shelter myself while I was processing all of this. And I don't think it was all a bad thing, but I'm at the point now where it's time to expand and grow And I was stuck. I was stuck in this place of the world's just going to have to accept me. But that wasn't who I really was. Because I really do want to be a great wife and a great mother. And I thought I was just kind of taking control and accepting myself. And I see now that I needed a big kick in the ass. And I got it. And my husband told me straight up, you know, I don't like this. I don't like that, you know, and it was really hard to hear. And the therapist was like, get out on, get on the floor and play with your children and have your husband help you. He, he knows how to do it, which for some reason, my reaction was the audacity (laughs) of these two men trying to tell me blah, blah. You know, I went on the whole thing, like this is so effed up. And you know what? It it does sound that way. But after putting on that mask a little bit and kind of pushing myself to do it, I am so happy that I did. So this is a really complex situation. I went all the way around the world. I went to the darkest place and I came back and I feel like I'm seeing so clearly. And Now I'm really living every day, focusing on the relationships around me and I'm applying the insight mutuality and the emotion regulation to even my relationships with my kids, because I think sometimes as parents, it's really hard to forget about the mutuality of your kid and 
their needs and wants. Um, especially when you're kind of, in my case, we're all like finding out we're autistic together and we're all navigating this and it's really complex. And we have to push ourselves sometimes. We just have to. And a little bit of masking might not be the worst thing in that situation when you are in a safe place and just kind of pushing yourself to get through something. Like for instance, me masking on Saturday with my family, with my husband and kids, that wasn't going to be harmful to me. My husband wasn't going to like take advantage of that and, you know, um, and it really wasn't. And it was something I needed and it was exhausting. And then I was able, we watched that video on Friday night, Sunday morning after watching that video and having those three things, insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation in my head, I think like two weeks ago, I would have woken up in that situation and just held that in. I would have been miserable all day, but I knew mutuality wise, I knew my husband wanted to hear what was on my mind and I knew it would be good for me to say it. And I got it out there and Sunday was a really good day too. Even though I started sad and depressed, I applied those three things and it got a lot better. And now everything's just really starting to make sense in a good way. And yeah, I challenge you to figure out where that line is of self-acceptance and self-excuses. Because I'm starting to realize I've been making a lot of excuses. And I don't want to be that person. I want everyone to accept me, but I don't want everyone to accept me not being my best and allowing me to make excuses. And it's a really fine line. <laughs> it's a really, really, really fine line. And just like everything else we've been discussing here, it's complex and scary and hard to process. And it's like, I don't know, but I, we just have to live and, and get out there and learn, like mask a little, take the mask off a little, you know, that's how we learn. I learn through experiences. I unfortunately don't have the social insight and I don't have the ability to know what something is going to be like. Like I have to learn through failure. That's how I am. I've always been that way. I, I've just been that person that would rather just experience things instead of listening to all the advice around me. I have to learn the hard way. That's who I am. Most neurodivergent people are the same way. I don't really know why. Just everyone I've talked to seems similar with that. So use it to your advantage. And if you can do these things and learn the hard way, but have insight, mutuality, and emotion regulation on your mind, I feel like it's not always going to be horrible failures. It's going to be learning failures and positives. Like this past week was so hard and I've never felt more positive about my marriage, surprisingly. And we've, you know, we've had some pretty big fights and I've never felt so positive, but also there was a lot of mutuality, right? Like my husband for the first time opened up to me and just let me have it, but it was real. And, he, and now he knows, obviously that's what I really want. Like, I want to know where he really is, even if it's going to hurt me. 
Um, I want to know the truth. So I feel more valued in our relationship because I feel like, okay, now I'm worthy of knowing what he really feels. You know, he's giving me that he's growing up. I'm growing up, blah, blah, blah. Was that rough? I don't know. Did you enjoy my hour long info dump? (laughs) Well, anyway, if you're still here, thank you. In closing, I've already really kind of did the whole enclosing thing, but figure out where that line is. Where is the line of self-acceptance and self-excuses? And my biggest mind-blown moment is that emotion dysregulation is literally us not controlling the negative self-talk and not having the ability to hear those really negative things we're saying like, I can't do this. And, and not having the ability to say, yes, I can, let me figure out a way to do it. Or, or me, like my husband, I literally went on this whole inner narrative of like, my husband betrayed me. And it wasn't true at all. And I just let it fester. And I shouldn't have, I really shouldn't have. I really thought everything I was thinking and feeling was so valid on Thursday. And now I'm here on Monday, you know, four days later or whatever. And I couldn't disagree more. I wasn't listening to real thoughts and the real situation. I was completely emotionally dysregulated and I hurt my husband over it and I hurt myself. So thank you. I'm interested to know where your line is. I would love you to share with me. You can always email me at hello at laurastan.com. That's hello at L-A-U-R-A-Z-D-A-N.com. You can reach out to me on Instagram at laurastan, Z-D-A-N. And also join the Not Neurotypical Squad. I mean, someone shared a link to this TED Talk that literally might have changed my life and saved my marriage. So people are sharing really, really, really valuable and valid stuff. And it's amazing. I'm so happy I started that group. And any value that anyone else is getting, I'm getting tenfold. I mean, it's amazing. I'm making really great relationships in there. And If you're struggling or if you're not struggling and you just want some people who might understand you, we're there and you can be yourself there and we can talk about stuff like, am I accepting myself or am I using it all as an excuse, which I might, you know, I might bring that up in the squad. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I'm so happy that you stuck all the way to the end. That is awesome because... I'm literally just rambling at this point. So I hope you have a great rest of your day and until next time.